rehearsal. You ever been to a dress rehearsal? They're usually not fun, are they? You know, like it's because you got to go to a wedding and you got to dress up or stand here, hands front, hands back. You got to go do, you got to walk through all this stuff. But in the Old Testament, the Bible says that God has given us dress rehearsals. And how many know the dress rehearsal is not the big show? It's the practice. It's the preparation for the big show. And in the Old Testament, God has given us something that we typically refer to as the Jewish feast. The Bible refers to them as the feast of the Lord. And in the Old Testament, God prescribes these seven, everybody say seven, seven feasts that the Jewish people were to perform and to work out on an annual basis. There were seven of them. And the way they worked out was, is in the spring you had Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. A little bit later in the spring, you had a feast called Pentecost. And in the fall, you had three different ones. And, and again, the, the first three are clumped together. It's really one big deal. The back end, these three are clumped together. It's one big deal. And they were called, they were the feast you saw in the video. It was called the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, here's what you need to know about these things. Is these things had all these different little types and shadows and, and, and symbolisms so that you could one day be prepared for something great that God was going to do in the earth. So the Jewish people for thousands of years were celebrating these feasts. So at Passover, they were taking a lamb and putting it on a stake on a certain time of day. And, and then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and they're putting him on a stake at a certain time of day, and it was the blood over the doorpost and at the side and at the bottom, that if the blood covered your life, that death would pass over you and you would be saved. And all of a sudden, they're seeing it. And so you see in Jesus' first coming that he was crucified on Passover, that he was buried on unleavened bread, and he rose again from the dead on first fruits. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, you have one of those again. And then the Holy Spirit is given on the day of Pentecost. And so, but in these fall feasts, we see something really, really, really dynamic and really, really fascinating. It's these, they're, they're more reminders. They're more pictures. They're more rehearsals going on. And last week, if you didn't, if you weren't here, please go get the CD because it was, it was smoking hot. It was so good. Go get that. And today we will catch up and begin to talk now about what we call the day of atonement, or we also refer to it as Yom Kippur. Everybody say Yom Kippur. If you, it's a big deal. It is the most holy day on the Jewish calendar. We also talked about how the Jewish calendar is different than ours. We work on a, uh, a solar cycle. They worked on a, a lunar cycle. And so their months, this is why Easter lands on a different day every year. Because Easter is, remember, first fruits. And so it, it changes for them because they work on a lunar calendar instead of a solar calendar. And so that's why this time of year that we're in right now, we are walking into the fall feast season. The Day of Trumpets this year, if I remember correctly, will be September 25th and 26th. So if you're out mowing your lawn, some trumpets start. <laughs> I don't know what you need to do. I'm going to go get my shoes on. Anyway, um, so, so today we will talk about this incredible feast, this huge, huge day, the most holy day on the Jewish calendar is called Yom Kippur. And now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, Todd, this sounds very historical. And this sounds, as you learned last week, this has ramifications for us. This has applications for us. And today is no different. As a matter of fact, today, this will apply to everybody in the room. This will not, there will not be one person in this room that says, yeah, yeah, that's for other people. No, this is for you. And here's why I know it's for you, it's for me, and it's for everybody in this room. It's because this is a day about getting rid of or leaving behind your regrets and here's what i know about you is that you have certain things that you regret and i have certain things that i regret 
And the worst thing in life is to walk through this life carrying those regrets for an extended amount of time and never having God heal or resolve those things. There's nothing. Because have you ever had a situation where you're like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe I did that. You ever had that before? Usually our regrets fall into two different categories. It's either things that we did and we regret them or sometimes there are things that we didn't do. And we regret those. Like, I can't believe I missed that opportunity. I so wish I could go. You ever do the, the, the role playing in your mind where you have a time machine and you get to go back into time and do it differently? Well, you know what that's an indicator of? You have regrets. That there's something in your past that we, you wish you could relive or redo or change somehow. And if you could only go back in time, you would totally not do that or you would go and do that differently sometimes it's not even what we do have you ever had and some of you people that, that talk too much you run into this problem because the bible says that there's a fool is known by the multitude of his words have you ever just said something and as soon as it flew out of your mouth you're like oh, i can't get that back okay you ever done that i was hanging out with some guys this week and and um and, and it was so funny because there's a bunch of dudes acting like dudes. And, and uh, one of the guys goes, hey, how old are you? And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm 48. And he goes, wow, I thought you were a lot older than that. And you're like, I didn't, I didn't say that. I learned, especially with women. The guys, I'm going to give you the hint. With women, if they ever ask you how old you, you, know, you think that they are, whatever you think they are in your logical brain, subtract 10 then subtract two more and throw that out there. Can I get a what? Can I, you huh? Ladies, you appreciate that, don't you? So you sometimes you just say stuff. I remember we were going down the road and, and, and we were talking and one guy, he was laying, he said this because I was with Shane this week and he goes, Shane, you're full of interesting, useless facts. Let me ask you a question real quick here. And you're like, oh, get that, get the, bring that back. You wish you could, you know, you just have moments where you, you ever get into an argument? You ever get into a fight with your spouse? And then all of a sudden, like, daggers come flying out of your mouth. And you're like, that came from the, the pit of hell itself that was so mean. Good night and good morning. Where do you, you know, potty mouth on you. Good Lord. You, want, you just want to take it back so bad. And so we do this in life. And if you look, everybody in life has regrets. And when you look at people, especially the older they get, the, the more regrets become because you have a, a longer list, don't you? The older you live or the longer you live, the older you are, the longer the list becomes of stuff that you could wish you could take back. So, so for example, like people on their deathbed, they say stuff like, you know what? I wish I would have spent more time with my family. Nobody ever gets on their deathbed and said, man, you know what? I should have worked more. I should have spent more time at the office. That's where I really blew it. But yet, here's something interesting though. When you're young, sometimes as a student, you, you, you live life foolish, I'll, I'll be nice, foolishly. And then you get through and you regret, like, gosh, I wish I would have paid attention in class. I wish I would have not been high when I went to class. I wish, I wish. And you have these regrets. And so you have regrets about where, um, you, you have regrets about staying in touch with people. You have regrets about, man, I wish I would have kept in contact with people. Sometimes you have regrets on the opposite way. I wish I would have never hung out with them. Probably more that one, huh? I wish I'd have never become friends with them. Why did I start hanging out with them? Uh, here's another one. We, we think about our relationships um, when we think about like dating and marriage. Sometimes we think, oh my gosh, I wish I would have never gotten in that relationship. You ever have a relationship you look back on? You're like, what was I thinking? And other people, they, they got into a marriage 
and then it didn't work out and it deteriorated. And then they have regrets and they say, I wish I would have worked harder at my marriage to not let it deteriorate. And so we can, I, I, could, I could spend 20 more minutes just going through a laundry list of regrets, things that we look back on in life and we could get into that time machine and we go back and say it different, do it different, not do it at all, whatever the case may be. And we all have regrets. Many of these regrets, let's just go say most of, most of these regrets fall into the category of what the Bible would call sin. Is that fair to say? That many of them are like areas of our life where we disobeyed God, disregarded God's wisdom, decided to do our own thing, and because of that, we ended up with what? Regrets. Because rarely ever do we follow God wholeheartedly, obey God wholeheartedly, and be like, wow, that was, that was totally dumb. I should have never gone on that mission trip. That was awful. Went and helped them people. It was the dumbest thing I ever did. You, you, you don't typically follow God into regrets. Does that make sense? Because even, this is my experience, even when I follow God and I, I, I thought I was following God, but it turned out I really wasn't, God has a way of taking my blissful stupidity and making a little bit out of it and drawing some good things out of it. But bless God, when I just go headlong into foolishness on my own, disregard God, I end up with regrets and you and i got regrets and so here's the question that the whole world has been dealing with when it comes to how people look at god what do we do with our regrets what do we do with our sins what what do we do with all of our past mistakes what what do we do with them and so you look at every religion in the world they have their own system of what you need to do to be right with god so in our modern day, you've got different cults and religions and groups and whatever else, and they got their own system. And this has been going on forever. And what we're going to find out today is that when Leviticus was written, which sounds really old, doesn't it? When the book of Leviticus was written, it was mind-blowing theology. Because God set a standard for, here is what you do with your regrets. Because see, in their day and time and culture, nobody knew what to do, Right? It was, it was an archaic time period, and people looked up at the sun and thought, well, that's the most powerful thing in the sky. There must be a sun god, and then at night there's a big moon. That must be a moon god, and well, we need rain, so there's probably a rain god. And so you do all these things to conjure up the gods. You know what I mean? You've got to get the gods to bring rain. You've got to get the gods to bring sun. You've got to get the gods to bring a harvest. And so when you need God to get to do something for you, and you've got regrets or sins that are blocking that, you've got to do something to be right with God. And so back then, they didn't know what to do. They had so abandoned the ways of God in the beginning that they had just come up with all these new ways. So you know what they used to do? They used to sacrifice animals. They used to sacrifice their own children. They used to cut themselves and do weird things to themselves. And they were trying everything in the world to figure out, what do I do with my sin and mistakes so that I can be right with God because I need God on my side. And the book of Leviticus shows up and God transforms theology at the time. He goes, I'm going to tell you what you do with your sins and regrets. Let's read it together. This is the book of Leviticus, and this is the celebration of Yom Kippur. Are you ready? Leviticus 16. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. Now, this is huge. The reason why this is, this is radical is because this, Aaron was the high priest, and every year after that, there, or, or, or generation after that, there was a high priest. The high priest had these doped out, crazy looking garments. There was this gold breastplate with like jewels and gems and stones in it, and he had this big, huge, kind of dome shaped hat, and had the big, and he had this just crazy looking outfit. Except today. Today, 
was the only day that the priest could enter a place called the Holy of Holies. It was the most sacred place in the temple and the most sacred place in the tabernacle before the temple was built. It was the place where there was a mercy seat. It was a place where they believed that God would visit them when they came to him. And you're going to see why in just a second. But it was the only day they could enter. And normally the high priest would be in a big, huge getup. But is today, is he in the getup? No. You know what he has today? Stripped down to linen. Basic, simple linen cloth. He has to tie the linen such or sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. Take a bath. I mean, this is detailed, isn't it? Like This is like choosing your underwear for the day. It's how big of a day this is. You're going to see why. From the Israelite community, he has to take two. Everybody say two. Two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull of his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. So here's how it's going to work. The high priest is about to go in and offer a sacrifice for the entire nation. But just to make sure he's right, he just goes and does one just for him and his family. He gets the linen drawers on. He he does for him to make sure he is right with God before he goes and does it for the people. Are you following? It sounds a little complicated. It's really not. So then he is to take the two goats. Everybody say two goats. This is huge. Two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots. And I don't know what that means other than flip a coin. I don't I can't feel if I have anybody to tell me exactly what they did to cast lots. But in essence, it was flipping a coin. It was like this. Could you imagine any, 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 any back then? So he cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord. One's for the Lord and to sacrifice and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot. He won heads or tails as the scapegoat. It shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. And y'all are like, what in the world does this have to do with me? This is nuts. This is what does this have to do with the regrets? I'm telling you this because what God did was is he instituted this one incredible holy day. And he said, here's how it's going to work. You're going to get the high priest and he's going to get two goats. And basically, we're going to sacrifice this one goat and that's going to take care of all of your sins for the entire year. You don't have to do any more. So we went from like, we don't know what to do. We'll cut ourselves. We'll kill our kids. We'll kill animals. We'll do anything to get the gods to do whatever. And God says, no, 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 no. That's ridiculous. Let me help you out. Just one time, one sacrifice per year for everybody. And that, that's the new system. Now, I mean, no, that sounds fantastic compared to the old way, doesn't it? Like the old way, you're not sure. You just keep trying stuff until something works and you get the sun god of the rank. And God says, no, 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 that's not even, no, it's just me. And I'm going to make it real simple. One offering, one sacrifice one time of a year for the entire nation. And so this was, again, the most holy day. This was the time. Now, here's the deal. The word Yom Kippur, it really means atonement. The word atonement means to wipe away and to cover. And this is what God was doing as a symbolism to show them this is what's taking place. This is what I'm doing. The goat is going to take your place. And his blood will be shed so that yours doesn't have to be. And all your sin will be put on that goat so that you can be forgiven. And so this was the atonement. It meant to cover, to wipe away. This was the big idea because God needs to wipe away all our sin, mistakes, and regrets. Now, let's go back. Remember I said we all got regrets. 
What do you do with those regrets? In essence, it's almost like having a bucket. You know what I mean? Because you got a bucket full of sin. you got a bucket full of regrets. And how many know the longer you live life, the more stuff you usually put in that bucket? The more opportunities you had to make a mistake, to miss the mark, to say something you didn't want to say, to do something, to not. And you, you fill this bucket. But life is really, really miserable when you walk around with that bucket all the time, isn't it? Some of you, unfortunately are still wishing you could go back in the time machine and fix something from 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago. Can I tell you, you're missing out on the joy of God because you're still carrying your regrets. But yet God has wiped them away. And so you end up having this bucket full of sin, full of regrets. And this is, again, we don't want you to carry this. God says, no, no, you get one time per year, you get to dump your sin bucket onto the goat. The goat, you're going to see, carries it out of the camp. And you get to be free. You are forgiven. And so although God has forgiven you, many of you keep carrying around all those regrets. God said, no, this is the day of atonement. This is where we cover those things for you. This is where we take your sin. Now, let's talk about sin for a second here, because sin is a bigger idea than most of us really think about. Most of us have kind of a top level look at how sin is. The, The Jewish people had three words that we kind of probably all throw together in English for the most part. And we use these three words. This is a sin and it covers a whole bunch of stuff. They had three words. The first word was this. Everybody say iniquity. Iniquity. This was like, this was the longing of your eye looking at stuff. This is where your eye began to wander and see things that, oh, look at that. That's interesting. Oh, look, that's over there. And you begin to, you know, look and long. And how many know you lean where you look? We talked about this, that you many times when you look too much at something, you end up falling into it. This is why they get you with the the um, the window. You walk by the store. You would have never gone in that store, but they put something really, really shiny and really, really pretty in the window. Right. They put something right in front of you at the checkout stand. It's impulse buy. And because you wouldn't have normally bought that thing, but. Oh, that's kind of cool. I, I, oh, I forgot. I needed that. And so you see things, and because you see things, and we do this with the opposite sex, or we do this with, with cars. You ever done this? Like, we do this with houses. You, you start wandering around like, let's go looking at houses. No. Don't do that. Unless you know you want to buy a house, and you've got the money and the plan, and, I'll, and you, you, you figured it out. You don't just go, ra- you don't do that with cars. You don't just like, because you know what happens with guys that go through car parking lots and looking at cars? You end up with car fever. And then you end up with a regret. I had car fever once. Do you remember that, babe? I was a young man. And you know what's awesome about being a young man? Is you have no children and you have more money. Can I get an amen? You got more money when you don't got them kids. And so uh, I, had, I had some money. I had a good job. My wife was working. And when you got two incomes and no kids. And I went car shopping. And I began longing with iniquity. And one of the biggest financial regrets I ever had was made in a moment of iniquity. But, but again, that's just looking. The next level of, 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 of sin is, is what they refer to as sin. They would use a different word. They would use the Hebrew word kata. This is where we begin to get in the idea of lust. Does that make sense? So this is where we go look at something. And if we look at something long enough, we eventually do what? We lust after it. We're like, mm-hmm. we can dream about it. We got tabs on our web browser so we can go revisit it and look back at it many times because we're shopping for it. We were looking for it. We did a little drool out the side of our cheek and we begin to lust longingly after that thing. And then, of course, we move to the third level of sin, which is the word. Everybody say transgression. This is when you just directly disobey God and you go buy that car anyway. 
Your wife don't want you to. You shouldn't pile up the debt. That's a dumb financial decision. You know that God doesn't want you to. And bless God, I looked long enough. I lusted hard enough. And now I'm pulling the trigger on it. It would work in a number of different ways. Like if, I, if, 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 you know, if you had a really cool watch on. And I'm checking out my school watch. And that's, that's iniquity is when I begin to have longing eyes for something. But then when it turns into lust, it's when I have an out-of-control desire for it. And then by the time it gets to transgression, I steal your watch. You get it? It's a progression. So like we're always gauging not just what we do, because many of us just think, well, what did I, well, I didn't do anything. Yeah, but Jesus said that when you have lust in your heart towards a woman that, that's not yours or a wife that's somebody else's or whatever, like, it's the same. You, you've already entered into that realm because you have lust in your heart, and therefore, if you back that up, it's because you had eyes that took you away from God's true plan, purpose, and focus for your life. And so, sin didn't begin the moment you made the grave mistake. It began a long time ago when you lost your focus on what God really had intended for your life. And that's what we're monitoring, engaging. And so this is how we get towards regret, isn't it? Somewhere along the line, we had some eyes that began to wander. We begin to want something. I mean, essence, let's just talk about it like this. Sin usually is, is meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. We have these needs to be loved, to be respected, to be wanted, to be desired, to feel better about it. We have illegitimate needs, but then we go out and meet them in illegitimate ways. We think that person, that thing, that if I do this, it'll make me feel this way. And we go out and we, and then at the end of the day, you wake up the next morning with a regret. Man, what was I thinking? And if I could just go back in time, but what do you do with the sin, the iniquity and the transgression? Because when we read Leviticus 16, that's what he said he was going to take care of. The iniquity, the sin and the transgression. Not just all of it. That's what God covers. Not just the final terrible mistake that you made. Everything leading up to it. He said it is covered. So let's talk about this. So here's what would happen in the ceremony of Yom Kippur. If I say two goats. Okay, get with me here. I know this is a little history Bible-ish. Okay, everybody say two goats. There's two goats because there there was like hundreds of thousands of people that would show up for this big, huge event. How many know like... That's a lot of people for one, one big event. And so the, the, the priest would take one goat. Remember, they would like cast lots. And for one goat, it was going to be a really, really bad day. We're going to kill that thing. And, and so they would take that goat. And here's what you would happen. You, he would take the goat and he would lay hands on that goat. This is the idea of laying on of hands in the earliest form. And he would, in essence, like press himself and, and, and press his hands on it. And it was his way of symbolizing that God was pressing in or laying on this goat all the sin of the entire nation. Then he would take a knife and cut his throat. He would take a cone-shaped cylinder and catch all the blood. And then from there, he would run into the Holy of Holies. And he would actually turn it because the blood couldn't... I mean, the blood gets sticky and coagulates. So the, the blood had to be stirred because you wanted live, warm, hot blood. And he would go into the Holy of Holies one time per year. And he would pour it on the mercy seat. And that would, in essence, cover the entire sin. And so this is... And then he would come out. And this is what the really, really cool part. He would come out and say, it is finished. Where have we heard that before? When Jesus was on the cross, he made the same statement, it is finished. Here's another thing that was going on. Remember I said he would carry the blood? When he would carry the blood, he would actually walk quickly and stir the blood. But while he was walking, he would say, don't touch me, don't touch me. I have yet not, I have not yet offered the sacrifice. Don't touch me, don't touch me. What does that sound like? 
If you remember Jesus right after he rose from the dead, there were some women that had showed up at the tomb and Mary Magdalene was one of them. And then she discovers that it's Jesus. He steps back and says, don't touch me. I have yet not ascended to my father. But yet just a while later, he shows up back at the upper room and then he allows Thomas to touch him. What had taken place in between those two things. So all this symbolism is is laid all throughout. So as John and Matthew are writing the New Testament, they're trying to say, hey, look, something incredible is going on here. Something that you have been rehearsing for for thousands of years is right in front of you. Don't miss this moment. So that was the first goat. So then what they would do, let's, let's read a little bit more. Verse number 20 says, when Aaron had finished making atonement, For the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. Remember, everybody say two goats. It's two goats. There was one, bad day for him. I guess it's always a bad day if you're a goat, though, so you're a goat. Um, Verse 21, he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the sin and wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. All their sins, like all of it, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed to the task. That goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place. And the man shall release it into the wilderness. Now, the first goat was the goat, and they called it the goat to the Lord. The, the other goat was the goat named Azazel. Everybody say Azazel. That's a Hebrew way. Azazel. It literally means take him away. It was the word that we got translated scapegoat. We use that term in popular culture. When we say, yeah, he really threw that guy under the bus. Yeah, they use that guy as the scapegoat. Basically, what they did was there was a group of bad people that did bad things, but they picked one of them. It's like, well, somebody's going down for this. Bam, let him go down for all of it. He's the scapegoat. Where do we get that word from? He was the Azazel. And it literally meant take him away. And so this is what would happen. They would, again, do the same thing. They would press on this because what the, what the priest did in the Holy of Holies, who saw that? Nobody. So the 300,000 people were like, well, I hope that goes good in there. <laughs> I really hope that turns out good. If not, we're hosed for the year. And, but that's why they had the second go. So he would come out and he would do the same thing with the second go. He would press on him the sins and they would do a few different other little things. One of the things that they would do is they would tie a red cord. The red cord was wrapped around the head of the goat to symbolize the sin that had been put on the goat. Then the goat was given to a person who was in charge of taking the goat out of the city and then releasing him. And so you have this twofold picture. Now, now here, here's a question. When we think about Jesus, what happens when you take a crown of thorns and you press it down onto somebody's head? You end up with a ring of blood all around somebody's head. And so you have this imagery and this picture now of Jesus as the atonement. And you have Jesus as the scapegoat. You have Jesus as the Azazel. What did they say? Remember, what, what does Azazel mean? Take him away. L- listen to this. In John chapter 19, verse 15, the Bible says that the mob, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. What was the Hebrew word for away with him? Azazel. What was the name of the scapegoat? Azazel. What was the mob literally chanting when they took Jesus away? Azazel. Azazel. Take him away. And so they took Jesus and and, and they put the crown of thorns. Now, remember, they took the goat and they put the goat into someone's special care, right? 
As a matter of fact, if we read the whole chapter of Leviticus 16, there was a special thing. Remember where Aaron's like having to bathe and wash himself and wash his hands? Well, the guy in charge of the scapegoat basically had to wash his hands as well as what it says in Leviticus 16. What did Pilate do? Pilate was given charge of the death of Jesus. Jesus said, actually, you have no authority except for the authority which my father has given to you. He was put in charge of Jesus' death and execution. But what did he do? He wanted no part. His wife had a bad dream. says, don't mess with that. That's bad juju. Don't get away from that. Pilate doesn't want to crucify him, but the people flip out. The mob begins to chant Azazel. And what does he do? He goes out and he washes his hands in front of everybody. And so again, the writers of Matthew and John are showing you all this symbolism. The people are literally chanting the same word for scapegoat, Azazel. And they carry Jesus out of the city. And they took him up onto a mountain called Golgotha and they executed him there so that he might atone for the sins of the world. Listen to this. There was this thing that they did when they tied the red cord around the head of the goat. The guy in charge would take and clip a piece of it off and then take that back to the priest. And what they believed was, because this was apparently some miraculous thing that happened every year, is that when the goat got out, of the camp and got out of the city and got far enough away, there was a miracle that took place every year and it stopped happening after the death of Jesus. But once the goat got far enough away, the red cord would turn white. Listen to Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. They carried him out of the city and the cord turned white. After the cord turned white, the way that they finished the ceremony of Yom Kippur is, is that the priest had a special chair. And at the end of it, he would just sit down. And at that point, the celebration began and the people would go bananas. Listen to what they said. What did the priest do to finish the ceremony? He would sit down. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never fully take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he did what? He sat down. He is our atonement. He is the one That all of your regrets, all of your mistakes, all of your sins that you've been carrying for all these days, months, years, decades, some of you, it was put on him. And the people celebrated because they believed that all their sin had been taken out of the camp. It was no longer on them that God had freed them from their sin. Listen to how John writes in 1 John chapter 2. He says, my dear children... I write this to you so that you will not sin. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Like, forgiveness is not a license to sin. That's dumb. He goes, I'm not saying this. He goes, I'm writing this so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the what? He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. This is Jesus. 
He is our atonement. And again, this doesn't say, he goes, look, I don't want you to sin. I don't want you to ever live a life where you're walking away from God. I always want you to live in the ways of God, in the presence of God, walking with God himself. And I, that's what I want you to live. But if you sin, yep, you're probably going to. I want you to know you have an advocate with the Father. He is Jesus Christ. He is our, he is our atoning. He is our Yom Kippur. He has washed it away, wiped it away. He has covered it. Let, let, let me put it another way. The goat has left the building and your sins went with him. You are free. Can somebody say amen to that? You are free. In, in, in the words of the priest when he comes out of the sacrifice, out of the Holy of Holies, it is finished. The cord has turned white. The priest has sat down. Last scripture, Leviticus chapter 16, verse number 29, the Bible says this is to be a lasting ordinance for you that on the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves, not do any work, whether native born or foreigner residing among you, because on this day, atonement will be made for you to what to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. So you know what you do with that bucket of regrets. You know what you do with all that sin and all that mistake and all the junk of your past. You let Jesus take it for you and you begin to live free. Many of you, you live underneath a system where you've got to earn. You live underneath a system where God's mad and you're awful and you've got to somehow earn. Can I just help you? It's already been done for you. You cannot live for the grace of God. As soon as you begin to work for the grace of God, it's no longer grace. Grace can only be free, freely given. As soon as you work for it, grace has disappeared. You never work for the grace of God. You never live for the grace of God. You live from the grace of God. You go out and you live because of what Jesus has done for you. You live because you've been freed and forgiven. You live because he took your sin and punishment for you. And now you get to go and live free of your sin. So here's my question for you this morning. What are you still carrying around? What are you still daydreaming that you wish you could get back, you wish you could take back, you wish you could get in the magical time machine and go back and redo? Because some of you are carrying that, and because you're carrying that, you've missed out on the presence of God. You've missed out on joy in your life. You've missed out on freedom. You've missed out on being able to live at your fullest as God would have you to live because you're still weighted down by the guilt and by the shame and by the regret. And I want you to know that the goat has left the building. Your sins have been taken away. And listen, they had to do this every single year. Jesus said, I am the ultimate high priest. I am the ultimate sacrifice. I only had to do this once. And it is finished. And all you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is accept it. All, yeah, all you have to do is embrace it. And from this point, you don't live for grace. You live from grace. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice. And God, I pray that today is the day that we empty our bucket of regrets. And that God, today is the day that we say, God, I don't want to carry this anymore. You have taken it away. And so God, I, I pray that, that they would feel your forgiveness. That they would feel your freedom. And that they would feel your love. So right now, I want you to take 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Take 60 seconds. 
And I want you to begin to, to open up your heart and say, God, I don't want to carry this anymore. If you've got a specific thing that you were thinking about, as we talked about our regrets, as we were, you were thinking about what you wish you could redo or what relationship didn't work out or what you wish you could go rewrite into your past, I want you to give that to God. Remember the high priest, he pressed it into the goat. The goat became the sacrifice for the second goat. They just sent him out of, they sent him away. They said, as he goes, he takes our sin with him. And it was this dress rehearsal. It was just this beautiful picture. It was this yearly annual reminder. Remember, you, the worst you should ever carry your regrets is one year. That was the book of Leviticus. One year. That was the most you had to carry your regrets. Every year on the Day of Atonement, you get to let it all go. How much more so then with our great high priest and that incredible sacrifice one time for all for the entire world? How much more so should we come to God with our regrets and let God take them away? And so, God, we give them to you this morning, God. We ask for your forgiveness and we ask for your grace, God. We thank you that it is freely given and we just sit back and accept it, God. We pray, Lord God, that we would walk out of this people, God, or walk out of this place, God, a people free, a people full of life and hope and love and faith in you, God. And because we're living from grace, God, we get to not only just take this grace for ourselves, begin to give it to everyone around us, Lord God. God, help us to make your name famous. God, help us to be the light of the world, a city set on the hill that cannot be hidden. God, help us to be the salt of the earth, God. Help us to be the givers of grace because of the grace you have given to us. God, that is our prayer in Jesus' name. And if you believe that, give me a good gospel. Amen. 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 Yeah, yeah.